We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Jay Hawkinson goes to Minnesota. Chase Edmonds, Naheem Hines, switch teams. Chase Claypool's in Chicago. We're making sense of it all from a dynasty perspective and talking passing game matchups for week nine on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Welcome into Roto-Viz Radio. I'm Dave Cabin, joined as always, excuse me, by Curtis Patrick, we're <laughs> two of the owners. <laughs> yeah, we are two of the owners here at Rotoviz. Hey, listen, it's been a different week for us here on the show. Took Monday yeah. off for Halloween. Oh man! Did the other show of this week? Uh, we recorded Wednesday night. Came out on Thursday. This episode will be coming out at the normal time, but we will be doing things a little bit differently here, as there were a number of really interesting trades that transpired earlier in the week we wanted to take some time to put those into context we will hit some of the passing game matchups we'll go through those a little bit quicker i'll give you the players that i think are worth highlighting we might not dig quite as deep because we want to make sure that people get the information that they need to make some dynasty maneuvers as they start to head into the end of the year curtis we made a couple of moves uh, which we might discuss, but more importantly, how are you doing on this Thursday night? I'm doing fine, man. Uh, I am a little worried uh, about what's going on in the house here. I sat down to record the show tonight and there's just, I, I mean, it looks like it's written in, in, you know, psychopath handwriting. There's just a list next to my keyboard. <laughs> it says white school glue, foaming shaving cream, lotion, baking soda, cornstarch, contact lenses, boric acid, and sodium. <laughs> I don't, there's, there's no context for this list. No one has told me that this is things that need to be shopped for. There's no like school project or assignment sitting here that says, Hey dad, need help with this tomorrow. So, uh, not really sure. So if I'm not on the show next week, please send the police to my house, uh, to check on me. Um, but yeah, I, I, I actually made some dynasty trades uh one of them in our co-owned team yesterday dave and then i made another move today so all this dynasty talk at the beginning of the show is is very uh timely but i, I just want to talk about the, the moves that uh each of us made 
real quick. So I think it's, there's a applicability, you know, a lot of the listeners that, you know, maybe in a spot where they got to decide, Hey, am I going for it? I'm in, you know, I'm in the top four right now. I want to lock yep. in uh, these, you know, this performance and I don't want to fall back to the pack. What, you know, what types of moves could I be making? So the first one that I wanted to review is uh, the move that you and I made in our Rotoviz fantasy football podcast dynasty best ball team. It's a Rotoviz triflex dynasty squad. It's a $250 annual buy-in. So it's very nice, uh, very nice prize if you, if you win. And we're in a situation where we're second in points. We're only 24 points out of first place. And we've kind of been limping along in our flex spot each week ever since Hollywood Brown went down. Now we, we were deep enough on the bench that we're getting, you know, higher than re- replacement level. Uh, but we, we're not quite the freight train that we thought that we would be. And that's kind of what it takes in a dynasty best ball league, man, because, you know, it's, it's possible to build some pretty scary teams. So we sent Marquise Brown for DeAndre Hopkins plus a 2023 fourth. And I, I really love this for the rest of the year. And and Hopkins has looked so good the first two weeks back that, you know, even if he continues to to tail off a little bit with age, it's not too hard to imagine him, you know, having, you know, kind of a, a high value PPR chain moving season where he's less dynamic, you know, as he kind of fades off into the sunset. Now, a lot of the, a lot of the receivers just end up getting hurt and they're not available to you. So that's also a possibility. Um, but luckily we know that um, Hopkins is willing to take PEDs. So maybe, <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe he will uh, maintain his performance, but I'm pretty excited about this one, Dave. I, I think we're a lock uh, to be a, a top finisher. Anything can happen between now and, and the title, but um, I was glad you're on board for this trade. Yeah, so I think it probably makes sense to kind of step back and talk through some of the thoughts that we had while we decided that it was time to make this trade. Uh, Obviously, we're foregoing what looked like could be some real prime years for Hollywood. However, the way that we initially entered into this league when we went through this draft was we were going to try to win early do the different things that we could do to keep it going, continue that momentum. But we built a team that we knew was going to be aging to some degree. So it was a little uncomfortable to go ahead and bring in a player of Hopkins age. But really what this move came down to was positioning ourselves to capitalize on this year where things are going right, get off to that strong start and, and really do something to try to ensure that we get this win in year one. Then we went back and forth a couple of times through different different iterations of the trade, made sure we got at least one pick in there. Now, it's not a very high pick, but we've made some moves earlier that we now have enough picks stocked up that we did this deal with the intention that we're going to use some of those picks, even if they're lower level, to try to inject some youth into this team. And then the other piece that came down um, as a pretty important and critical thing here was that we're adding Hopkins, who still looks to have another year or two. And we have a number of other wide receivers who, though they're old, have some short-term value. So we can use them also in in conjunction with some of those picks to continue to make this team better after it comes home with the championship this year. Yeah, the, the first part of what you said is really the sense of urgency. Um, and, and we can just kind of quickly run through the roster here. I mean, this is a Derrick Henry team. It's a Leonard Fournette team. It's a Devontae Adams, Mike Evans, uh, Tyreek Hill team. It's a Travis Kelsey team. You know, so Hill's a little younger than the rest of those guys. But 
Uh, there's there's plenty of high end, you know, kind of elite production on this squad that is not long for this world potentially. And so to, to, to not win or to not have a serious cash this year would be a huge disappointment, but I, I'm with you. I think, I don't think that we have to be done with this team, you know, having Hopkins here now, it would give us the flexibility maybe to, uh, to, you know, to approach another team that's in contention um, and, and try maybe just below that cash level that wants to get into the cash. You know, maybe we can move Mike Evans and one of our picks for somebody that's younger and not producing at his level yet. Um, but would have a little bit more uh, dynasty longevity. And so we'll, we'll continue to, uh, I think, check in on this squad uh, because, you know, we're pretty excited about the, the prospects. But that's the first move. The second move, Dave, this is in one of my own uh, squads. It's also an FFPC dynasty squad, another $250 league. Uh, so I'm just going for these big wins this year. This is a single QB league. So this is a league I've been in. I think this is like the fifth year. Uh, I've won it once and finished twice second. Uh, and I'm in position to, 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 you know, to be a finalist again this year. I'm, the team is six and two. I'm third in victory points. Uh, but the situation is Rashad Penny was my uh, running back two on this squad. It was an Alvin Kamara, Rashad Penny team. And so I've been limping along. I was, I was fortunate enough to pick up Deontay Foreman. Um, who knows if he has a full season worth of this type of production in him. Um, but beyond that, I mean, I had Michael Carter and yes, Brees Hall went down, but the team went out and traded for James Robinson. Carter doesn't really look like he's going to be a, a week, uh, week in week out difference maker. And so I had an opportunity to move what will be my, you know, clearly will be a, a 2023 20, playoff level first round pick for Aaron Jones, plus a non-playoff uh, third. So probably moving down, you know, about 14 to 16 picks in the draft, depending on how things shake out for the, for my squad and the other squad involved. But I do add Aaron Jones, you know, who is an RB one on the season, despite only scoring a, a couple of touchdowns, I think two or three touchdowns so far, there'll probably be a little bit of correction there. And he, he's looked, he looked better on the ground in this past week. He hasn't really been turning in those, you know, many of those 20 plus point games. I'm not expecting him to really be a hammer. But uh, I do expect him to have a, a more projectable role week to week than Deontay Foreman, at least. And Foreman can now kind of go back into that flex consideration, uh, which feels a little bit more comfortable for the squad. So I'll, I'll be rolling out uh, when, you know, when we're post buy on the squad, Mark Andrews, it's tight end premium. So, you know, that's obviously pretty huge. I've got Amari Cooper, Brandon Ayuk, Stefan Diggs and Rondell Moore at wide receiver. Gerald Everett's the tight end too. And then now Kamara. Aaron Jones and Deontay Foreman at, at, at running back. This is plenty uh, to be able to compete, you know, deep into the playoffs, Dave. Uh, any any feedback for me? Would you be willing to make this move for Aaron Jones or is it too rich for your blood? Um, I don't think that it's necessarily too rich. I think that um, sometimes you do have to go out and make a move. I think we mentioned before, you yeah. know, sometimes you have to make yourself a little bit uncomfortable if you're really trying to capitalize and bring home that championship. Uh, Aaron Jones is kind of an interesting player at this point, uh, especially with the Packers, you know, an interesting team over all this year. Uh, but I don't, I don't hate That's this. It's just move. a different way of saying gross. I yeah. mean, they're, they're a gross team. <laughs> they are a gross I, team. I, I definitely feel, I feel gross yeah. making this trade. I don't know if Rogers is going to play next year. You know, Jones could be on a, who knows what will happen with him. He's 27. Uh, I, I see all of the potential downside in this deal. Yeah. I'm really looking at this as being willing to move down a full round, you know, round and a half in the rookie draft, 
for a chance at to solidify a title run. I'm not looking at Aaron Jones as a multi-year investment. If he if he turns to dust in February, I'm fine with it right. uh, process-wise. Yeah, so, you know, good context there. You have your head around it. You have the vision. I, th- I think it works. Should we now talk about some of the actual trades that happened? Yeah, not without a drop. Okay. Um, what do we got? I wasn't, I wasn't ready for the drop here. You know, we had just, just hit, jumped just hit, in so quickly. Hit I'm the green button. Okay. I have a green one. All right. That worked. Yeah. Ooh, ooh I <laughs> like that at the, at the end. end. <laughs> oh, wow. I like that. Okay. So Dave, um, you know, there's really, you know, I think seven key players, uh, that we want to, uh, quickly run down, uh, you know, are, are we thumbs up or thumbs down? Uh, from a dynasty value perspective, and then we can quickly talk about the the ripple effect. We'll go in, uh, we'll, we'll go through the running backs, the wide receivers, and the tight ends, and we'll go in alphabetical order by last name. So this is not an order of impact. This is just in the order of the players and the article that I'm writing for my own convenience. <laughs> uh, so, so Chase Chase Edmonds, uh, uh, the first move, uh, he, he looked to be off to an RB two style start in Miami with a couple of double digit PPR games within the first three weeks of the season quickly fell out of favor. Not really a great scheme fit, uh, for, for this zone run scheme in Miami that Raheem Mostert looks so good in. So the dolphins ship him to Denver. Um, and you know, now he's there in a very murky backfield situation. Javante Williams had torn his ACL. He's out for the season. You've got Melvin Gordon, you've got Latavius Murray, and now you've got Chase Edmonds. Uh, you know, Edmonds was basically dead in Miami. So I think him moving anywhere is a slight lift. You know, I don't think he registers much on the dynasty radar, but, um, you know, he is the type of player where if he were to flash in this, maybe after his first full week of practice in that next game that he gets for Denver, you know, if he, if he gets a handful of receptions and looks like he's going to be flex-worthy, it's going to give you an opportunity maybe to move him to a contender who's looking for some depth, you know, try to get a 2023 20, third for him or something like that, or, you know, upgrade, you know, Edmonds plus a third for a second or something. I think it will allow you to make those types of moves. He's not a player that I'm like desperate to go out and get after this because Denver's just a, a total crap shoot um, right now. But um, I, I don't think it changes the outlook for Javante Williams, obviously, um, Edmonds is not a player that's going to threaten him provided that he's, you know, fully healthy next year. And then, you know, it, it could be the final death knell for Melvin Gordon, who's had a very rocky season after being pretty solid the, the previous two years. That's kind of how I see it. Um, we'll, we'll wait a minute to break down the Miami side of this because they brought in a different running back, but Dave, just any thoughts that you would add on Edmonds and, and maybe, how you would value him if you were trying to move him off your roster, since I don't think he's a player we're going to go target. Yeah. I think that when you just at a high level, think about Edmonds uh, at this point, he's been a player who it looks like at stretches might be able to really put things together. It's never really fully come to fruition. This is his fifth year since coming out of Fordham. You start to reach a point with a player like Edmonds, where you just know that even if they were to gain some value, the odds that it's going to last for a long time are very slim. I think at this point, if I'm looking to move Edmonds, I'm really just interested in getting anything that I can. The waters are now real muddy in Denver. 
um, for all of those players. I think it's very hard to assign a high level of probability here for Edmonds having any type of a breakout uh, or being a significantly better than replacement level player. I mean, I'd be happy even getting like, I think a fourth at this point for Edmonds, depending on the context of the different league that you're in. All right, I'm going to let you go first on Naheem Hines, so everyone doesn't have to get my reaction to these moves uh, first. Uh, but uh, just to set the table, Naheem Hines moves from Indianapolis over to Buffalo, Dave. I actually don't think it makes a tremendous amount of difference uh, in the perceived value that I would have for him. Um, I know there is the narrative that they've been looking for that pass catching back, that they're going to bring him in. For that purpose, they've been specifically trying to find this guy. However, though, and perhaps he's a better catcher than the other players that they've had in that backfield, but I'm just not certain that all of a sudden he comes in and with the other backs that they have in there, he's able to take a high enough of an opportunity share that he overcomes what he was doing in, in Indianapolis. Obviously a much less efficient offense, but one that... You know, for a couple of weeks now, he's outscored uh, Jonathan Taylor. Taylor was dealing with some injury concerns. I think you can make the case that he actually might have been better off this season sticking in Indy. And I'm not sure that from a long-term perspective, you can anticipate this raising his value for multiple seasons. Yeah, I'm not so sure it's better either. Um, you know, Devin Singletary... Uh, is averaging eight yards of reception and four and a half yards of carry. Um, James Cook is averaging five and a half yards of carry and 15.6 yards per reception. Uh, hasn't been used as much in the receiving game, I think, as uh, originally hypothesized mm -hmm. when the team you know, drafted him to kind of backfill, losing uh, J.D. McKissick, who they thought they had for about a half a minute uh, this offseason. And, and, you know, just looking at Hines, you know, it's different offensive context. I mean, the Colts are really struggling this year. The offensive line has been dinged up. Uh, there's been, you know, poor quarterback play fairly consistently. But, you know, he's pretty much in line with, um, you know, career career expectations. He's actually only um, – he is actually uh, – where is his – he's averaging two yards per carry um, this year, two even. <laughs> Um, his career averages is four yards a carry. You know, he only has 18 rushing attempts actually uh, this year. So it's hard. It's kind of tough to be too hard on him, but he's, I mean, he's got 25 receptions for 188 yards. Um, very similar to, you know, the efficiency on a, a per uh, reception basis that Singletary has actually about a half a yard worse uh, per reception on basically the same amount of work. I mean, 28 targets for Hines versus Singletary's 30. So, you know, maybe the team is just trying to shore up and make sure that if they were to lose Singletary, they have another back that, that you know, would allow the offense to perform similarly. That's uh, obviously a team that thinks they're going to, you know, make a lot of noise in the playoffs. And to me, it just feels like making sure you have enough horses, no matter what happens the rest of the way. Um, and, and I don't think that Hines and Singletary really are too uh, dissimilar. I mean, they're they're, you know, Shorter guys, stature-wise, both pretty shifty, both pretty thick for their height, um, even though they're not necessarily thought of as big backs. I mean, they're both uh, short and around 200 pounds. So, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think he would have been better off for fantasy in the with the Colts this year, too. Um, for James Cook, I think it's actually probably the, the worst um, 
because I think it's going to potentially limit what he does the rest of the way as a rookie. And, you know, if, if you're not a first round running back and you don't have a lot of production in year one for dynasty, you know, it's kind of tough projecting that forward. What will he really be? Is the team really going to move on from Singletary and Hines in the same off season and just hand the reins to cook? And even if they did, what would we think about him as a player in that offense without much of a sample size to look at this year? So I would say this points arrow slightly down uh, on, on cook. Um, not that he had a ton of value, but he was a pretty, I, I guess to his drafters would have been a pretty valuable stash uh, in dynasty rosters, even though he hasn't been making lineups. And I think it's, it's pretty much arrow sideways for Singletary and Hines. So I guess we're in lockstep there. Yep. I, I don't need to say anything else. Completely agree with that assessment. Okay, so the next player, and we don't need to spend much time on this, Zach Moss uh, goes the other direction in this deal from Buffalo to Indy. Uh, I think it takes Moss from dead to having a very faint pulse Mm -hmm. in the event that Taylor gets shut down for the season. You know, Moss might be a rotational flex level player. He's probably, you know, worth of next year's fourth or something now. Sure. Yep. I think that that's fair. Okay, and then Jeff Wilson goes from the 49ers over to Miami, Dave. This is a really interesting one. Um, Two reasons here. One, Jeff Wilson was a guy that we were adding late in hopes that uh, San Francisco would need to rely on him more than some people were expecting. That looked like it was going to work out. We also liked Raheem Mostert and talked a lot about him down the stretch. It was looking like, you know, he was going to get to have a lot of opportunity and was doing pretty well. Now we have these two gentlemen in the same backfield. And the question is, does it take some of the luster off of them? I would say that clearly in this season, this is a downgrade for both of them, given the situation that they were expecting right before these trades went down. Um, I would expect that early on, we see most get used a little bit more. Um, So overall, I think I have to say this dings their value somewhat, but very honestly with both of these guys, I'm not sure that they were players that I was considering in my mind as having a significant amount of long-term value. Yeah. uh, Moster, it's been basically like a 70, 30 split in that backfield uh, with Mostert at 70 and Edmonds at 30, you know, maybe it's more of a 60, 40 with the style similarities between Mostert and Wilson Um, but you know, I, I think this is kind of similar to the move the bills made, you know, Mm -hmm. the bills wanted to make sure they had, uh, some depth that fit the same style they're looking for at that position. I mean, the dolphins have done the same thing. I mean, the dolphins, uh, you know, obviously they had to go through some games without Tua, but they're five and three. Uh, they look super dynamic. They seem to really know what they are both on and what they want, what they currently are and what they're striving to be both on offense and defense. I mean, they want an offense that is just full of Ferraris at every position. And, you know, even on defense, like the big trade they made for Bradley Chubb, making sure that they have, um, you know, uh, the ability to to get to the quarterback, I think is especially important in the division, you know, when they're playing against Josh Allen a couple times a year. But I, I like the direction with Miami, the familiarity with McDaniel, the familiarity with the scheme. There's even some comments about, you know, Shanahan saying he would like, I don't think he said never, but you know, there, he, he didn't want to trade Jeff Wilson, even when they were just talking right after the McCaffrey deal, but there's like spin now that, well, he's really staying within the family because McDaniel's going to know how to use him. They didn't, you know, ship him off, ship him off to Houston to be Damian Pierce's backup or something for minimum draft capital. So I think it's pretty cool. 
Um, and if, Hey, if you're a Wilson manager, I mean, you're pretty pumped because I mean, he was going to be dead. I mean, Elijah Mitchell is going to be coming back yep. uh, to the 49ers to be the primary backup f- uh, for McCaffrey and the change of pace guy or the, the, uh, the short yardage pounder guy. So Wilson was going to be dead and, and, and now he's not, and he's actually in the optimal scheme. So I, I would say, you know, of these running backs, you know, right now, uh, I mean, Edmonds and Wilson probably are, are slightly more interesting to me this year. Uh, Hines has the type of profile that maybe he'll have the most long, he'll, he'll have some level of value for the most amount yeah. of time out of these four guys, but none of, I mean, you're not giving a second for any of these guys. It's just interesting from really a 2022 context to see these backs move around. Yeah, I agree. I think that uh, 2022 is really the year where a lot of this comes into play. Um, so some moves for running backs, uh, not as exciting as that Christian McCaffrey move was, but I'm curious what you think about the moves that we saw with some of these guys catching passes. Let's start off with Chase Claypool, who gets out of that situation in Pittsburgh, uh, with Kenny Pickett at quarterback or Mitchell Trubisky that hadn't really been working out too fantastically heads to a team with limited volume in the passing game, granted, we start to see them do a little bit more, and perhaps this signals to us that the team does want to invest a little bit more into Justin Fields, give somebody to pair him with alongside Darnell Mooney. Do we think that we can spin a nice case here? Uh, what are we seeing when we when we break it down? I mean, I think we'll zip right past. I don't, I don't think the Bears should have given up a second uh their second could be potentially a top 40 overall pick i think that was not necessary uh but just you know ignoring that um i mean you have to like it uh you know he's been a little bit buried in pittsburgh the pittsburgh offense um is is probably a worse i mean i I don't these neither one of these offenses is is super uh attractive really for any of the uh, any of the players playing in them other than like, you know, fields, um, you know, fields having some value uh, himself. Uh, you know, Mooney hasn't really emerged, but if, if Mooney was really the only thing the offense had going for it and he's not really a primary uh, guy, you know, maybe the combination of having another a player that, you know, not only has the size down in the red zone, but can be another downfield threat. I mean, fields was an awesome downfield passer uh, at Ohio State, and we haven't been able to see that really unlocked with any regularity in the NFL. So, you know, having somebody opposite Mooney, or you know, now a situation where Claypool, not you know, we've seen him play the big slot in Pittsburgh, but he could just you know hang out there on the perimeter and let the team move Mooney around into other situations to where maybe he gets a little bit uh, more relaxed coverage. So, I think like just overall it could be a rising tide uh, lifts all boats situation for for the Bears. Claypool wasn't doing much. You have to like the opportunity for him. It's it's obviously going to be good for Fields, um, even if it doesn't rocket his his passing numbers forward from a, a a team scheme perspective. Adding more talent when the number two so far this year has been uh, Equinemius St. Brown, who has just eleven receptions. Dave, uh, he is the number two wide receiver on the team. That's pretty rough. Um, so, yeah, so I like it. I think uh, Claypool now is a player that, you know, if he does anything over the next month, he's probably right back to having that interest level of of maybe being uh, worth a, a late 2023 second. 
or something like that. And uh, he was a player that really was difficult to move and difficult to value. Um, I think uh, so far this year because of uh, his inconsistency and, and not really knowing what the Pittsburgh offense was. It's really good for George Pickens, you know, on the Steelers side of things. It, it really clears up the pecking order there. You know, now they just need Kenny Pickett to start uh, looking the part of a first round quarterback. But, you know, there's no doubt that it's the, you know, Deontay and George Pickens and Pat Fryermuth show, you know, just taking that other big dynamic body out, I think helps all of those guys. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, so I, I think that maybe an exercise here that might be worthwhile is with Claypool going to Chicago and now room being opened up for pickings. if we just compare the value of those two players. Now, obviously, there's an interesting element into it with the separation of years played, but they're still both relatively young. Um, are they relatively in the same tier at this point, do you think? Or is there some level of separation between them? No, I think I think uh, Kenny Pick... Uh, I was going to say Kenny Pickett. Uh, George Pickens um, is clearly uh, more valuable than than Chase Claypool at this point. I mean, there's the intrigue of not knowing what what he's going to be. Yep. We've already, you know, Claypool's in his third season. We have back to back seasons with 800 yards from him uh, in his first two years, and he scored 11 touchdowns his first two years. That's great, um, you know. But I, I think George Pickens looks like a, a cut above um, as a prospect. Uh, and what we've seen early on uh, versus what uh, Chase Claypool was able to do. I think you would be unlikely to be able to buy George Pickens for next year's second. Anyone who drafted him is is banking on him now busting out. I think you would have to pay, you know, first for Pickens and a third or something like that. And, you know, a, a, a second I think would, would get you Chase Claypool in 99% of scenarios. I mean, just from a community evaluation standpoint, I, I would definitely have some separation and I think uh, I've got my finger on the pulse of the the community on this one. Yeah, and I think that that makes sense um, to me when you break it down like that, and we start to think about these guys in terms of draft picks. 
All right. So we've covered Claypool, the fallout from that. Man, I I practically even forgot about Calvin Ridley till we saw this tra- <laughs> yeah, till we know, saw man. this trade come through, it's right? Crazy. Yeah. That's it's really nuts. Um, it can really only basically be good for Ridley. Uh, you know, I mean, with them having Drake London and Kyle Pitts there and not using either one of those players, um, Ridley potentially coming back to this new type of offense and being a third mouth to feed would have been horrific for everyone involved. Um and you know, he was a player that's difficult to value because you don't know if slash when he's going to be reinstated for his horrible, horrible, uh, egregious offense of, of betting, you know, four figures worth of dollars on a, on a game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, he just must be a terrible person, Dave. Uh, the, the issue here is, you know, he is going to be next year. It's going to be his age 29 NFL season, which is hard to believe. He turns 20. Well, we forgot this, this, he started his career yeah. very late. Oh, yes. Uh, I think yeah, he was almost he 24, did. right? Yeah, he. I think he turned 24 in his rookie season. Yes, he did. His rookie season, uh, he would have turned 24 in December. So he's going to turn 28 this December. Next year would be his, uh, his of record age 29 season. Goes over to the Jags. I mean it's just, it's tough to beat this up too much because even though the Jags look like a place where, uh, you know, Trevor Lawrence, we don't know exactly what, what he's going to be, you know, maybe he's just getting off to the slow early career like Andrew Luck had for a similar player who was viewed as, you know, can't miss, but had a little bit of struggles those first two seasons, you know, maybe it'll take year or two in the Peterson system for Lawrence to really fast forward, uh, what he's doing, but you know, Ridley plus Christian Kirk plus Travis Etienne. That's actually a pretty cool offense if Lawrence does end up panning out. Um, I don't think that Ridley will have the type of upside there that we saw a couple years ago back in 2020 where he he saw 143 targets and had nearly 1,400 receiving yards. But I think he could return to what he did in years one and two where you know, you're seeing 90 to 100 targets, 800 to 900 receiving yards, and you know, scoring um, you know scoring seven to 10 touchdowns. I could certainly see that happening if he gets reinstated and Lawrence takes that step forward. So you got to like it for him. I think you could probably get Ridley for, I think a second is the right price for him. I think there'd be a lot of movement in both directions. I think a lot of people would sell him for a second. And I think there'd be a lot of people that would be interested in buying him for a second, Dave. Um, how would you value uh, Ridley? And I, I, maybe a follow-up to that that would yep. be even more interesting is how would you compare him to Christian Kirk, who's about the you know a year younger, but also going to be in that offense? Yeah, that's a that's an interesting one. So just high level, when I think of the possibility of Ridley coming back and him being in Jacksonville, I would not be expecting us to see things similar to the Ridley that looked like he was going to be a perennial wide receiver one type of player, sans Julio, in Atlanta. I think that a wide receiver two type of outcome would be a great scenario for him. In my head, I'm penciling him in more around that wide receiver two, wide receiver three fringe. As a result of that, a second rounder starts to feel kind of appropriate to me. I think that if I were to go out and seek him, I could get him for a second rounder. I would feel pretty good about that. Um, In comparison to Christian Kirk, Christian Kirk, I just checked the age. Yep. Uh, he he is actually two, about two full years, uh, almost 
Yeah. Well, he's going to turn 26 in November. Yeah. He's, he's just shy of two years younger, not just one year younger. I'm going to say that in my mind, it's fairly similar. I would just give a slight edge to Kirk, given the fact that we did have him playing this season. You don't have to worry about the adjustment if, if, if him coming back. He's been there. Ridley's probably a little bit better of a player, though. Uh, but with the Delta in age and, you know, those other factors with Ridley, I would I would put them in the same tier, small edge to Kirk. Yeah, I think that feels right. Age breaks the tie in this in this situation. So, uh, yeah, that was a pretty cool trade, though. Uh, it does feel like a chance for a fresh start. Now you just got to, you know, keep an eye on what happens with reinstatement. You know, really, I think other than, you know, the, the upside that Claypool could have if Fields really takes that step and Claypool just needed a chance to, you know, have more of an offense to himself, um, he would be kind of the, the silver medal, I think, in this um, dynasty trade frenzy that we had uh, at the NFL trade deadline. But the crown jewel was TJ Hawkinson for sure, man. So TJ Hawkinson um, was in a pretty good situation in Detroit where he'd shown some upside, shown, shown some ability to be a target hog um, at times over the past couple of years. But that offense, you know, is going to get Jamison Williams hopefully at some point this season. And if not this season, next year. That's really going to change things for sure. And, you know, if the tight end is not going to be a feature uh, of the offense really moving forward and they, they are going to use that position more as a, an inline blocker and less as a, a passing um, game feature, you get him out of there. And for him to go to a team that's going to score a lot more touchdowns uh, in the Minnesota Vikings, a team that looks to be struggling a little bit beyond Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen is uh, struggling um, to to produce the way he has in, in years past. KJ Osborne, a player that we talked a little bit about uh, this summer, hasn't really taken that next step forward. I think Hawkinson has a real shot, you know, with Irv Smith on the pine now with that injury. He could be the number two in this offense in pretty short order. Um, I don't think he's going to be coming off the field either because, you know, he he is a good blocker um, and and can step right in and, and make sure that that running game can keep humming too. So I really like this for him. Kirk Cousins has uh, shown uh, affinity for tight ends earlier in his career. Um, and, you know, when he's had the good ones, he hasn't been afraid to feature them. He's not a guy that has forced it to tight ends and really lifted them up um, if they didn't have the requisite talent. But he has taken advantage of it at times. So, yeah, I, I like this for Hawkinson, uh, both from a, just a real football sense. And it's good to see him get on a team that's actually going to compete now. Um, but also from a fantasy perspective, uh, if, if I'm a Hawkinson manager, I'm pretty Excited about this move, you know, in tight end premium, FFPC, Rotovis Triflex formats. I think this puts a late first round valuation back on this player. Uh, it would be very difficult to buy him for less than a first. And I think, you know, I, I wouldn't fault anyone who says, yeah, I don't know um, about TJ Hawkinson and, and this offense, and he's not going to ne- reach that next elite level. I wouldn't fault anybody who wanted to trade him at that price either, but that's where I'm placing the value. I'm going to say playoff first on Hawkinson and tight end premium. And then maybe, you know, maybe a, a non-playoff second in a, a traditional PPR setting. How do you feel about those values, Dave? Well, when I first heard about this trade, I didn't in my mind know exactly where I was going to land on it. Because on one hand, we did have the situation where he's playing a pretty vital role in the Lions offense. You know, he's it's been able to support him as a fairly decent fantasy tight end. But then I thought about it at the very least, 
what's he going to do in Minnesota? And I feel like at the very least, he should be able to approximate what he's doing in Detroit. But then you have the possibility of a lot more upside that could be unlocked, looking like he's stepping into that role as the number two option for Kirk Cousins in the passing game. Then I started to get fairly excited about it. Um, I think from... If I'm thinking about this in terms of tight end rankings, right, I think that he's relatively in the same range, but now you could make a strong case for him perhaps at four or five out of all tight ends. So in tight end premium leagues, you know, I think I'm pretty interested in him. Um, you know, so again, I think we're fairly aligned on this one. Yeah. Uh, you know, Cousins, even in an offense when he had Pierre Garçon and uh, this is way back in the in the Washington Yeah, this is way back. That's Pierre Garçon, man. Um, Pierre Garçon um, and Deshaun Jackson, you know, Jordan Reed was really, that's right. He was really the motor that made that offense go. Now this is a different player. I mean, he was basically uh, a big wide receiver uh, with a tight end designation, but I, I, you know, even with two at that time, prime level talents in, in uh, DJX and Garcon um, cousins was happy to continue featuring Jordan Reed week after week. I mean, he was an elite guy uh, for about a two year stretch there. So um, again, I don't think it's, it's hard to, you don't have to squint very hard to see Hawkinson uh, really gelling, I think, with with Cousins and, and settling in as a, uh, an effective weapon in the Vikings offense behind uh, Justin Jefferson. And I mean, again, beyond, I mean, really beyond Mark Andrews. And, and right now with his injuries, it's, you know, it's, I think, kind of clouding things. But beyond Mark Andrews, what tight ends and dynasty are you really excited about? You know, Kelsey's a lead until he dies. Um, but beyond that, I mean, you know, the shine, the shine isn't as shiny on pits anymore. And so it's wide open. I, it's not hard to think, Dave, like, like you're saying, I mean, as a top five guy for Hawkins, and it's not hard to think, you know, maybe fast forward a year, you know, this time next year, Hawkinson, I, I don't think it's that crazy to say he could potentially be the, the number one overall dynasty tight end. Um, you know, it, it would, it would mean that everyone has kind of come back and there's nobody really there at that Kelsey level anymore. Um, but I, I would say there's a, there's a, you know, gambler shot at that, that happening. And, and certainly he deserves to be in the top half of uh, tight ends from a dynasty perspective now at this point. So yeah, that, that kind of wraps up the NFL trades and the dynasty impacts. Happy to continue this conversation with any of you on Twitter. If you want to um, at me or Dave and ask us questions, um, whether you're trying to shop one of these guys or you want to challenge us on our, on our valuations there. Dave, why don't you highlight just a couple, maybe pick your three favorite passing game matchups with the passing game matchup Raider, and then maybe a warning shot or two for a couple key offenses or players. And then we'll remind everyone uh, to get the depth of that uh, analysis. They can check out your article tomorrow. Sure. So if we start off with wide receiver, it's pretty interesting. Um, a couple of the names that we highlighted while talking about the GLSP projections for this week, also have very favorable passing matchups. Uh, Robert Woods comes in towards the the high end of the matchup ratings. Alan Lazard, we also see making his way in as well. Looks like it's going to be a good week for Green Bay against Detroit. We've talked about Detroit a number of times at this point and how favorable they have been for opposing wide receivers. Uh, you also have Terry McLaurin and Juju Smith-Schuster 
receiving pretty high ratings. Yeah. Uh, and they were two guys that I'd mentioned projecting higher than we've been used to this year uh, when you looked at the GLSP. Now, we said no matter what, you're playing Hill and Jalen Waddle, but the passing game matchup Raider confirms that this is a pretty brutal matchup for average level players. But Waddle and Hill are so far removed, they'll be fine. Uh, could be a rough game, though, for Gabe Davis. Um, I, I don't think that I'm going to go into this in great depth here. Uh, but what you will see is that the Jets have been fairly competitive if you look at some of the thresholds uh, in terms of top 48 players, they're actually not scoring that well on average against the Jets this year. You never know when Gabe Davis is going to break one of these big plays, uh, but with the alignments and the schemes that he is in, he could be fairly well kept in check by the Jets. Allen Robinson looks like a, a rough matchup for him. Chris Godwin, uh, one of the higher level players that the GLSP did not like this week, also uh, getting confirmation there from the tool. And then Zay Jones for the Jaguars could have a tough day uh, in his matchup as he will be facing off against the Raiders. Now, the Raiders haven't really been uh, you know, like one of the most stingiest defenses in terms of players getting over 10. They're one of these odd teams, Curtis, where they've allowed 1.7 players at the wide receiver position to get over 10 points each week, but they've limited the upside of players. And in fact, they have been the one of the most limiting teams to top 48 wide receivers. In the case of Zay Jones, I think, you know, he's probably going to be fairly shut down. Perhaps he was a player that you were thinking could get into your flex spot this week. Flipping over to tight end, we had talked about Robert Tunyon as a potential flex play based on the GLSP and kind of looking at Big that Bob. matchup. He gets one of the best ratings of the whole week here. Love it, man. Love yeah. It. And he comes in with a 71, which is a pretty darn high rating. Uh, you know, normally in a week, we only get a handful of guys over 70. So great matchup for him. We also mentioned Gerald Everett, you know, another player that is going to allow you if your team has maybe multiple tight ends or you scooped him up late and now, you know, he's smashing for you. You could put him in at the flex if you paired him with somebody, you know, like a Travis Kelsey. And then the final tight end that I'll toss out here this week is Kyle Pitts. Uh, does draw a fairly favorable matchup with the Chargers, gets a matchup rating of a 52. So obviously there's some separation between him, like guys, or between him and guys like Tunyon and Everett. But for the tight ends this week, that's a fairly favorable uh, rating. The tight ends that do not look like great options this week Mike Gasicki, Logan Thomas, and Hayden Hurst. So. I don't think that we're really going to. How gonna... dare you? How <laughs> dare you slander Hayden Hurst? I love and Hayden his, Hurst. And his glowing, flaming hair. Uh, he he is a, a god among men in Cincinnati. Um, uh, okay, so Dave, thanks for taking us through the passing game matchups. And we'll uh, encourage everyone to check out his article on rotaviz.com to break it down even further. I want to wrap up the episode with just a couple updates that I think are uh, important to uh, get on record here. Rashad Bateman shutting them down for the season, man. Terrible. Shutting them down yep. for the season. This is a, this is 
I mean, it's probably a relief to people who have been, you know, I guess relying on getting him back in the lineup. It, it ensures that, you know, potentially Demarcus Robinson and Devin Duvernay will have uh, roles or and or Isaiah likely uh, for the rest of the year. Somebody else besides Mark Andrews is going to have to step up if the Ravens are going to continue to compete. But this is pretty bad for Bateman's dynasty value. Now two seasons in, not really sure what he is. Um he was kind of touchdown dependent earlier this season when he was playing anyway and didn't really seem to have the same type of uh, efficiency or connection with Lamar that that Hollywood uh, Brown had in 2021 so famously. So this, you know, this stinks, man. This, this really stinks for Bateman. Michael Thomas also getting shut down for the season. Brandon Cooks either refusing to play or um, being sat down for being grumpy about still having to play for the Texans and uh, OBJ, Dave Odo Beckham Jr. Narrowing down those potential landing spots looks like, look like all of them would be pretty fun. Um, so just a couple notes to, to keep your eye on uh, and the injuries, especially if, you know, if you haven't had a chance to look at your, your squads this week, uh, making sure that you move, uh, Bateman and Thomas to your IR and add somebody off of waivers to th- throw a dart somewhere. Uh, any comments on those guys before we close it up, Dave? Well, obviously it just stinks for Bateman. Um, this is really a huge blow because when you're not able to produce early on in your career, it re- really derail- derails things, throws things off. So that's something that you don't like to see. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, Michael Thomas, disappointing as well so hopefully like we, the end for we him, can re- yeah it does hopefully we can recoup some excitement here by obj signing in the spot that's gonna you know give us uh some glimmers of hope of you know recouping those those days past and uh some exciting catches from obj so we will look forward to that we hope that everybody crushes their matchups this weekend and we will be back next week to cover even more of this action. I don't like that transition out, but we're going to go with it. <laughs> It'll be week 10. It will be Thank week you 10. for listening right. to the yeah, Roto-Viz Fantasy Football Show. <laughs> Send us questions at rvffshow at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at DaveCabinFF and Can't at CPatrickNFL. Yep. Leave us a voicemail at 978-615-9214 and make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. <laughs>